How's it, internet? And welcome to Two Guys in SharePoint. The only SharePoint show in South Africa where everything is not made up and we do not give out any points, except maybe to Francois Pinard. Because it's trolling on Francois Pinard Day. Isn't every day trolling on Francois Pinard Day? <laughs> it definitely seems that way, Mr. Modlin. How are you doing? I'm very well in yourself, Pugin. Lacquer, lacquer, just busy. It's sporadic. It's every week the same shit, different day. Heavy. Yeah, I'm also busy, busy, busy. And uh, I'm going away this weekend. So I've got a little less time to edit this together. So we don't have a guest this week because I'm not going to have time to edit it into the episode. So you, our listeners, are stuck with just the two of us. I'm glad you've qualified that so that people can blame you for not having a guest on this week. No, yeah, it's absolutely true. <laughs> this, is, this is Mawa and Maya Cooper. All right, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't detract from the awesomeness of Two Guys and SharePoint. Yeah, we've got a really cool show this week. Um, we're going to go through a little bit of news, a little bit less than usual this week as well, as serendipity would have it. And then we're going to have a bit of a discussion about EIM principles um, and what that means and what we've done with that in the past and what it means going into the future. Yes, we'd like to uh, introduce a new segment, um, well, primarily because the modeling is going away, where we discuss uh, defining principles that make up what we do. So a lot of the times we talk to people and we talk about, oh, no, yes, teams, what does teams do? And then we, we're very product-focused. I mean, we've even got a segment called um, product segment of the week or new find of the week. And every so often we are going to cover the defining principles that make up this big bubble that we work with. And today's the first of those things. So we're going to jump into something fairly big, um, sort of the, uh, and I suppose the South African listeners will understand when I talk about the Suntum umbrella, because that's really what we're going to be discussing today, the umbrella of everything. Cool. But before we, got into, we, before we go into that, we've got what's happening in the news. In the news. So my little first bit of news here, my only little bit of news today, is Microsoft has updated its Azure, Azure Stack Preview. So this is their on-prem version of their cloud software. It's very weird. Um, but yeah, they've uh, added a couple improvements, done a, it's not quite a full new rev, but they have included some new services. Um, the Azure app service is available there now, Azure Functions, and they have an updated version of SQL and MySQL rolled up into that. So if you are getting into that sort of stuff, there's some new things you can pull and play with. Um, and if you are using that, please do get in contact with us. I'd be really interested to hear how it's going and what what the what your use case is for it? Well, I suppose I like the interface. So Stack is the interface. That's what it is. So it gives you a nice feel to what your environment looks like. Um, on the back end of that, there's Azure boot camps happening across the world on the 22nd of April. There is one in Johannesburg as well as one in Cape Town. I might be in Cape Town. Um, presenting on spinning up some SharePoint stuff. There's also the Azure virtual chapter that's handled by PASS, which is the International SQL User Group. And there are webinars that go out specifically around Azure. And I'll be doing two webinars on SharePoint in Azure. 
that's very cool. Very, very cool. So what do you have for us in the news, Al? Uh, it's a sad day. It's a very sad day for us. It's been uh, since last week. Microsoft has opted to shut down Codeplex. Ah, I had not heard about this. This is Codeplex terrible. is shutting down. No. I know the feeling, mate. Hashtag I'm your father meme. Yeah. It's Codeplex has saved me in the 16 years of working with SharePoint every single time. I mean, it was this plethora of information. Look, they're moving across to GitHub. All right, so I don't know if they're porting existing content. But moving forward, if you're looking for that sort of stuff, you will find it on GitHub. Well, this is good. We should we probably we probably all should have moved across to GitHub a long time ago, if we're being honest. No, for sure. Um, I like the fact that Codeplex was Microsoft and GitHub is not Microsoft, but it has the necessary tooling to provide you with a rich environment. Um, I suppose that's one of the reasons why they don't have to maintain it. Maybe one day they'll buy them. But yes, it's moving across to GitHub. I think it was spearheaded by uh, Microsoft putting up all their open source stuff on GitHub and then the SharePoint PNP team with all their deployments to GitHub and it just grew organically from there. Yeah, and it is good. Like it, it does work. Yes, and I've used it quite a few times, uh, specifically around the Raspberry Pi implementations for Python, for my uh, Pi mode stuff around me trying to get my lights to switch on and off remotely and trying to integrate. Note I said trying, since I haven't been successful in getting my Alexa skill enabled so that I can switch on my lamps. That sounds like absolute madness to me. Isn't All right, that, moving along. Yep. Hey, no, uh, what, isn't that what? I, I was going to say, wasn't there an episode of uh, Big Bang Theory where they do that and they have some dude in China flicking their lights on and off? So they open it. Yes, I actually, re I actually remember that. I remember that episode. Uh, one of the few that I've watched. Um, you can beat me up later for saying that. Cool. So what's up next in the news, Sheldon? Uh, <laughs> modeling, modeling, modeling. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Windows Creators Update is being pushed out on the 12th of April. So th this is an update to the Creators Update. Yes, the latest version yes. of the Creators Update. Yeah, so the, the Creators Update for Windows 10 is still rolling out. Not everybody has it yet, unless you've specifically gone out and decided to get it yourself. But the, the sort of usual rollout is still underway. Um, but yes, they've already got a patch out for it. And apparently the Microsoft servers are slow because of it. Uh, I've got some friends trying to... Uh, update Visual Studio 2017 and they're complaining about it. Yeah, I mean, rolling out something like a, a large update to Windows 10 is a huge process. It is it is massive. There are, like you and me in our working life, we do not deal with the sort of scale that Microsoft does. Uh, it's at just no. astronomical. So I'm, I'm sure there will be some slowness maybe, but... Uh, yeah, very cool. And so far, everything looks good. I haven't heard anybody really screaming and performing. So, so far, so good. No. Um, look, I think 
Microsoft has done well since the days of Vista to mature their product. A um, lot of built-in enhancements, uh, like we're using right now to chat to each other. I'm using Skype Preview on Windows 10. I don't have to install the client, and it's great. Super cool. What else you got for us, Al? Next up on the list, uh, Office 365 group retention policies are starting to roll out now. So you can preserve and you can apply deletion policy. Uh, it's a brand new Office 365 feature, and that's busy being rolled out to tenants uh, across the planet. I don't know when it's going to hit our AZ, our availability zone, uh, being island, but it is being rolled out. So now you can enforce a retention policy on a group for preservation purposes. That is very cool, which ties in quite ties in quite nicely to our discussion happening later in the episode around governance, and we'll talk a little bit about how all these new features have made that a bit more of a challenge and uh, the plethora of groups that can get created and how you control them is one of those challenges. So this is a, a lack of step in that direction. Oh, well, look, information methane. I mean, that's why I haven't trademarked that term, but I'm going to because that's the sprawl that we get, but we'll discuss that a bit later. Next up on the list, there's actually planned maintenance for SharePoint Online and OneDrive for Business. Uh, that's running from the 20th to the 21st of April. So if you have a degradation in performance or an intermittent access issues around SharePoint Online, bearing in mind that there is scheduled maintenance, how do you do that? I mean, last year when Jeff Deeper talked about uh, on the May 4th where SharePoint became cool again, and he was talking about the amount of virtual machines that they have um, for SharePoint, how do you... <laughs> How do you patch SharePoint um, when you've got 74,000 virtual machines? I, I don't know. I'm very glad I'm not the guy who has to work out that schedule and how all that stuff fits together because my brain would explode. Because it's from it's from 5 p.m., I think, Central or Pacific Standard Time or something, till 5 p.m. the next day. So that's like a 24-hour window to patch or to do some sort of planned maintenance around SharePoint Online and OneDrive for Business. That's astronomical. Really, really crazy. So to end off our news segment, I just want to talk a bit about the, oh, I wouldn't say relaunch of the Information Worker Community in South Africa. We just launched a new platform for engagement. And that happened this Tuesday. And as everyone knows, the second Tuesday of every month, there's eight communities that actually meet up at Microsoft in Bryanston, as well as, I think, three or four communities that meet up at Microsoft in Cape Town, which is in Pinelands. And it was great. We we had we had an awesome discussion about Teams versus Yammer versus Groups versus Planner and how they all fit in together. And also, we live stream via YouTube. Very cool. Uh, the entire one and a half hours. We are going to move across to live streaming via Facebook, much easier interface. And what we'll do is we'll upload the session that we've recorded to YouTube for later consumption. Because the nice thing about Facebook Live is there's immediate commentary and you actually see it through the stream. So someone could be sitting in on the stream and actually reading the comments and we can get answers much nicer, much easier. And we do have an information worker group on Facebook. So you can also get reminders through it. So if you create, not necessarily an event, but you know that information worker kicks off at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday, you'll get a reminder saying that the stream is about to kick off. So you can schedule your live streams, which is very, very cool. That is awesome, yeah. And so if you can't make it through to Microsoft, please do join the stream and I'll, I'll see you in chat, if not in the room. 
Yes, for sure. All right. Um, moving on to our guiding principles segment, Mr. Modlin. Yes, I thought it would. I thought this is a nice opportunity for us to touch base and sort of go back to basics and look at what we do at a high level, because as you said, we we often talking about very much the minutia of what goes on in the day to day, and that stuff is all very important. But if we're going to do this properly, we need to make sure that the high level considerations have been taken care of before we get into that nitty gritty. So I thought it would be nice for us to take a bit of time and and chat about what these principles are and how we see them and how we deal with them. So we decided for our first one here, we're going to talk about EIM principles. Interestingly enough, where Microsoft is going with the companion app ecosystem, it obliterates, it obliterates enterprise information management in its totality. I'm not sure that's true. But we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll, We'll we'll get into that at the at the end of this because we're talking about EIM. We haven't even said what EIM is. Okay. So this is a high so let's level unpack that. 101 thing. So so let's unpack this. So what what is EIM, L? What does it actually stand for, first of all? So Enterprise Information Management. Yes. So what this is, just just like what it says, right? It's enterprise information management. So the enterprise, the business has a bunch of information uh, as part of that business. It's how do we work? What is it that we do? All the all the information we've got in performing these actions for however many years, all of this information and our policies and our procedures and all of that, um, as, as well as actual working stuff, uh, that, that, that is all information that the enterprise has. And if it's unmanaged, it, it can get lost, it can bleed away into the ether, or it can just be completely unfindable. Um, and Well, look, let, let's, let's break it up. So back in the old days, um, when people came into knowledge management from a knowledge management background, not from a um, I can SharePoint, so I know knowledge management, enterprise information management didn't even exist at the time. Everyone was talking about structured and unstructured content. And to put a better spin on that, it's fairly rudimentary. And I mean, it's a big word, enterprise information management. Everyone goes, oh, we need an enterprise architect to do it. You don't really. Businesses, it doesn't matter what vertical you work in, be it FMCG, retail, food and beverage, doesn't matter, financial industry, mining, uh, Whatever. oil and yeah. gas, it doesn't matter. There are three specific items that hasn't changed. The three Ps, people, process, and paper. Everything around those three Ps has got to do with information and seeing information as an asset because information is an asset. Even if it's random emails being sent, it's still an asset. And unpacking what enterprise information management really does is having a look at the pillars that make up enterprise information management. So we start off in the space that we play in, which is enterprise content management. From there, you move on to master data management data quality services, data security, and obviously business intelligence. That is pretty much what, what makes up, if you had to put it in buckets, that's how you'd go about looking at structured and unstructured content. 
in your organization? I mean, you could spin off and start looking at all the other bits that make up your enterprise resource planning and supply chain management and all those other funny terms. But the, when people talk about EIM, that's really what they're talking about. ECM plus structured data around analytics. Yeah. And as the Microsoft messaging goes currently, we should be using SharePoint for what SharePoint is best at, and that is collaboration and content management. Yeah. Uh, the, the, these, these are the things that it does well. So let's, let's unpack this a bit more. So we've got enterprise content management. So we've got all of these, we've got all of these assets, these, these documents and such um, that we need to manage. Um, and how, how does that fit into to the greater, the greater whole here, Al? So, uh, traditionally, and I, and I use this term lightly because uh, tradition has now gone out the window, uh, we start with, back in the old days when companies like uh, COFAX started, I think COFAX started in 1984, and AIM, the um, Association of Image Industry, I forget what it is, um, Industry Professionals Manager or something. It's an association that started back out in 1982 to really start defining these standards. And they are the de facto people to go to when you start. Look, they started off just managing paper. So when it comes to the intelligent capture solutions component of ECM, um, that's really where they started out. And that's, that's the basis for everything because we were still – sending forms off to printers and printers were printing these leaf forms and we'd get it back and then we'd fill it in and we'd give it to a line manager and a line manager would do something with it. That's how we managed businesses. It was all on paper. You had ledgers with uh, information being stored in there. I mean, back in the old days before computers, we were taught that you have assets versus owner's equity, owner's equity plus liabilities in accountancy and you'd work with a balance sheet and a general ledger to draw all of those things out. And that's really where it started. So they started scanning paper. And that's the underpinnings of where we go or where everything went to. So advent of the computer, um, the advent of the word processing system, and all of a sudden people are no longer having to send stuff off where people create a die to print a form, um, like the old print works. So newspapers still work on dies, if yeah. memory serves. And that's how things got printed. Now with Lotus, you could now start and Coral Draw and all of those apps. You could now type things uh, using Windows or DOS and deploying it on top of DOS with Fox Pro and all of those things. And now you've got electronic documents. So what do we do with that? No one knew what to do with it. That's where document and records management really came from. I mean, it was always a principle even before you had electronic documents. And a lot of people used to call it EDRMS because, like, you had um, database management systems. What was that? DBMS, yeah. Um, and, and that's really where it stemmed from. So EDRMS, so we talk about document and records management. Document really around the creation of content inside of documents and records management really being the life cycle. So what do you do? How, how do you manage the life cycle of a word document that's been created. Yeah, so that that's quite a that's quite an important distinction to just break down a little bit. Um, when we're talking about these things and we're speaking about EIM, there is quite there is quite a difference here between doing document management and doing records management. So, document management to me is while this document is still in process, 
I'm creating this document. I'm collaborating with other people on it. I've got all these tools to help us generate this content. Once it's generated and it's finalized, then this re then records management, as I see it, kicks in. And, and we need to make sure that this thing that has been created is maintained for however long it has to be and is uh, findable and, and, and all of that good stuff. So a lot of, a, a, a lot of this sort of happens in two different spaces almost. It, it doesn't really, but th th there's a theoretical line we can draw in the process uh, of gray area where we say, okay, this is now a record and it is treated differently because of it. You see, that's also changed where everyone had a records module like OpenText and all the other guys. You look at Hummingbird, which is still now OpenText, so every product is now OpenText product. <laughs> so you had Edocs DM and Edocs RM, and it literally moved it from DM to RM. Microsoft came along and said, no, 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 you can do in-place records management. So documents can coexist with records, moving the goalposts once again. They, they they are like these things have gotten very blurred recently, and, and with the new tools and everything, they they are quite blurred. But I I think it's still a useful tool when you're thinking about how to construct these things in in deciding which is one and which is the other. At 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 what point does does at at what point am I no longer working with this thing and I only need to absorb it? It's a difficult thing. So when does that document become a record? Always the question. So at the end of that document's life cycle, um, people seem to struggle with the distinction between that. So all in while you are storing content and you are retaining content, there's a whole bunch of processes that happen around that content. And that moves into the next bundle of bucket for enterprise content management, which we refer to as business process management. And it's much, much larger discipline. Um, what makes up business process management is really ad hoc. So you want to send a document to someone for a review. That would be just some random ad hoc things happening. Then there's workflow, which is more structured and, and you follow, it follows a specific process and it has various states. And it does certain things based on interactions from humans. That then rolls up into process management, which we really talk about inter-application sort of thing. So a document comes in, someone approves it, there's a number associated with it, gets extracted, gets sent to your financial system, all autonomous of the user. And that's really where business process management comes in. And there's a whole science behind productivity enrichment or process re-engineering, as they used to call it in the old days, so that you can work hard, smarter, not hard. Yeah, and that, that is a big part of the information that the the, the information that the enterprise has that we're managing is what are these processes? How do our people work? How can we make that better? How, how can I get a view on what people are doing and how the process is actually functioning so we can maybe improve it? Uh, all, all, the, all, all those sort of factors also feed into this discussion. Yeah. And part and parcel of that is people having to capture data as well. So gone, like we said in the beginning, people no longer print forms at a printer. They can now create forms, not only word forms, but you can actually create electronic forms that live outside of traditional documents. And that forms the basis of capturing our forms, the basis for forms. <laughs> but it is really the, the basis for creating rich forms with 
specific drop downs and all of those things and, and building that level of intelligence into okay I need to apply for leave or I want to submit travel requisitions back in the old days it was all in a word document someone has to grab it or someone makes a photostat copy now you can create that forms with built-in intelligence inside of your content management system yeah and then they can feed into the process and make sure it gets approved properly and you can see how much leave you have and how much you've got remaining and where in the process it is and the, the the whole life cycle of this process and the documents or the information that's generated off of it as it flows through yeah. and how do we keep a track of all these things and, so and where what, they go. What would be the point of being able to store content but not find content? Well, there is no point. There is. Yeah. So into search. There are no points. Oh. <laughs> into search and e-discovery and a lot of people get confused between the two because people say well isn't e-discovery like search well yes and no so search really takes your content and reads your content for you and it stores the information it's read in a folder somewhere or to dumb it make it a little in an bit index easier. basically in an index like you would read a book and when you search for a word it will go search and look inside specific content that was made available for indexing and provide you with that rich findability factor e-discovery on the other hand is more about finding words or terms or phrases that you told you tell the system to go find and then pull up an alert and e-discovery is used differently in different spaces as well. So e-discovery around, okay, go find information stored in documents is you literally say, well, I, I, I want to find documents or any electronic information that's stored inside my environment that has credit card details or deflammatory statements or the wrong information and when you find this in the index flag it and let someone know about it so that you can start managing this better and there's a whole case file management behind e-discovery so it's very different to search back in the i think in the early or mid to late 2000s google came out with a search appliance so you could physically buy a server from them, I think it was a one or two U rack mount server, you stuck it onto your network and it would go discover things. What it didn't do was actually filter the discovery based on permissions. So what you'd end up seeing as a debtor's clock is your FD's salary review documents and uh, they politely pulled it back after issues like that because there were no compliance plugged into the back of that. Yeah, and these search and e-discovery and these are very important. This is this is one of the key ways that we show return on investment for this for EIM, right? Is making the making the correct information available to the right people at the right time. That that's sort of that that is one of the main benefits that a business gets out of implementing these strategies. So it's it's a very, very important piece of the puzzle. It's like no one knows what's on the second page of Google. And providing yes. that level of search criteria inside an organization, especially when organizations create a lot of content. So think about wholesale industry. So wholesale goes out and they, they've got an ERP system or they've got some sort of financial accounting system where they purchase stock from across the ocean. They create a goods receive voucher and they check that stock in. And then they generate a sales order and they assign stock to it and then now they create a sales invoice. That then goes to whoever needs to pick the stock 
or they pick it off the sales order and they allocate that stock to a sales invoice, that stock then gets delivered to a customer uh, and usually you have a proof of delivery. So think about it realistically from a findability perspective. If you've got a computer wholesale company like a Rectron or a Mastic that generates, let's say for argument's sake, 40 or 50,000 invoices a month. Easy. Yeah. And they've got one customer that is quite a big concern. Let's call it Incredible Connection. And Incredible Connection generates 2,000 invoices or from Mastic every month. And they have a 30 days from statement account. So once they get a statement, they have 30 days to pay against that. But what invariably happens is Mastic's debt... Um, finance people and Incredibles finance people play ping pong because Incredible goes, well, sorry, but out of the 2,000 invoices you say you've delivered to me, I've only receipted 1,800. And then that becomes into, okay, it's no longer 30 days from statement. It ends up being age debtors for 90 or 120 days and Mustek is at a disservice because that interest that they would have made in having that money in their bank account is not in their bank account. So being able to scan that documentation in, make it available for searching, grouping it by specific metadata and sending it off or a link to download the 2000 invoices as proof of delivery negates that ping pong that happens. So that's really all around how to manage search index retrieve information that's stored that's just one use case for enterprise content management yeah and it, that's a super important thing for a business it's so hard to run it efficiently if you if you don't have that sort of information available to the people who need it yes and then also last but not least uh, well, I suppose uh, the penultimate, which is not last, yeah, penultimate is, is really the talk around uh, web content management. So gone are the days where you have to put content and store it physically inside of documents like specifications for, for diagrams. You no longer have to store it in there. You could create something like, I suppose the easiest way to refer to that is think Wikipedia. Yeah. So have things available immediately. Biggest problem with information stored inside a document, especially when it's a lot of information, is someone does a search for triple heart bypass and they get a document that contains triple heart bypass. But they only want the information on page 89. It doesn't take you to page 89. It takes you to the first occurrence of that word. Well, actually, it doesn't even take you to the first yeah. occurrence of that word in the document. You have to it navigate. It says, here's the document. Good luck. There are tools that actually work quite well like that. A uh, product by the name of Xilab that would index pages um, and group individual oh. pages. Yeah, and SharePoint will do that for Office documents. What did you can you will get you will get you will get search results inside of But you can't in, in inside of the document. But you can't go to page eighty nine though. No, you can't go straight to page eighty nine. You'll have to open up the document and then do your search again in that document. But if if it if it's not tagged with it or doesn't have it in the name of the file or whatever, it'll still search inside the document sure. to return it for you. In your and then last but not least, we're talking about enterprise social, which forms part of that bubble. So enterprise social networks, I think it's the 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 latest bit of tooling to come to ECM or to the Microsoft space. I mean, well, it's not the latest, but it's the the most. Is it unintangible or is it like untangible, intangible, intangible? Yeah. Intangible. Intangible. Yeah, so 
for for the entire time I've been in this industry, there's this really crazy like pull between collaboration and content management. So we want to make collaboration easy and profitable um, and and a good experience for users. But while we're doing that, we also want to be able to manage the the resources that they're making in this collaboration. And it, it, it's quite an interesting sort of balancing act between how easy do you make it and how how much restriction do you put on them so that you can manage it? Because there are, when, when you're managing content, generally you, you have to say, okay, when, when you're saving it, you have to save it like this. You have to give me this information about it. You have to do all these things, which makes the collaboration a little bit a little bit harder so you can have a perfectly managed environment where it's quite difficult to collaborate because every time you want to make a change you've got to go through all the whole process or you can have a super easy collaboration environment where you can just do whatever you want but it's but you can't manage it so sort of the the, the give and take of these two things are, are are an interesting byplay and with the new tools we're getting now like teams um and yammer and and groups that this whole idea of working out loud and everybody oh, right. doing it all out yeah, in the yeah. open. Uh, <laughs> you like that term, I do. You? It's not wake on land. <laughs> no, working out loud. Um, yeah, w- with with all of that, it's th- those tools are very much shaped to make collaboration as easy as possible. And so now it's sort of our jobs on the other side to say like, okay, we've generated all this, all of this content how do we now make that discoverable and manage that so that it doesn't go back to the bad old days where everybody's just saving it to their desktops and nobody can find anything? They're doing it in these open spaces. How can we make that available to everybody? It's, it's, it's a difficult thing because a lot of businesses are, are set in their ways and how they communicate internally, and this is a totally different approach. And then also on the back of that, e-discovery, it's completely different in enterprise social versus in content management. So e-discovery in enterprise social is really about how do I discover information or people with information through e-discovery. So perfect example, we actually wanted to know who the global account manager for a specific customer in South Africa was because it's a global customer. I mean, they're across the world. And we wanted to find that specific person. So using stuff like AD or you you don't know. All we had to do was go into our global Yammer group, ask the question, and within half an hour, we had that person's information. We were actually speaking directly to that person. So going from six degrees of separation to two degrees of separation to no separation is really one of the hugest value adds of using enterprise social in organizations that are very large and geographically dispersed. Yeah. And the, all, all these work out loud tools, in, in my opinion, are only really made enterprise ready, right? You can only really use them in the enterprise because of tools like Delve and the, and the graph framework, so, right? In, in the, right? This, this, is, this is a thing for me because without, without those tools, all that content that gets put into these things would would never be found again. If you're not part of that specific chat, you'll never see it. You'll never know it even exists. 
but because we've got this framework that the Microsoft has that is pooling all of this data and learning about you and what your interests are, it can say, oh, this is something that is important to you. Let me surface it for you. And, and we can sort of, we, we, we can get hold of that information that way. On a search discovery side of it, that makes these tools uh, usable in, in an enterprise because we can get hold of this content. On the governance side, it's a little trickier. So bear in mind, when you talk about Delve, you're not talking about my analytics. No, Delve okay. is a much bigger, bigger thing than my analytics. All right. Just bearing in mind that my analytics is really powerful and it's only available in your E5 SKU. So the fact that yes. you have Delve does not mean that you have my analytics. No, that's why I didn't say my analytics. Huh. I said Delve. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was, I was quite specific. But even even if you don't get that my analytics dashboard because you're not in the E5 SKU, the Microsoft Graph backend still has that information about you. And when you go onto your dashboards, you go into Delve, uh, all of these different things, it still knows who you're interacting with, how often, all this sort of stuff. It can still present that content to you, even if you're not getting your nice weekly email with you put in 120 hours of overtime this week sort of stuff. Yeah, I'd like to delve a bit more into that commentary though. Uh, uh. <laughs> Sideways. Anyhow, coming back, let's let's bring it back. So some of the best practice scenarios that, that you've worked through um, in your tenure as uh, a tenure, ten, tenure, tenure, yes, as, as, tenure, yes, yes. as the, the rocket scientist behind enterprise content management. I don't know about rocket science. Um, I've certainly done a bunch of these. Um, it does it does sort of break into different sections for me. Um, I, I think best practice is you really, before you start doing anything, you really do need to have an overall plan before you're implementing stuff. Like it's, it's lacquer to sort of hit the ground running and everybody gets a team site to go for it. Um, that's super dangerous. If you don't have an overall plan, Oprah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and you don't have a lot of, and, and if you're not using third-party management tools, it then becomes very dicey on, on how you're going to manage all this information. So having a plan up front is, is very good. From the stuff I've done in the past, um, I find it's quite handy to, to separate out silos. I mean, you don't, that's not really silos. These things are all together. Everybody's got access. But I want to make a separate plan for the policies and procedures documents to the financial documents, to the working documents that the project teams are going to do. These are all going to have different plans of how I'm going to deal with this information. A lot of the people will have access to all of this. Some of them will have access to only bits of it. They're going to have different life, uh, life cycles. So, so getting that plan in place and identifying what are my different buckets that I have to deal with here and coming up with a plan of how to do that and then architecting from there, I think is, is a good idea. How about you, Al? You got a tip for us? Four things. Training, change management, user adoption, governance. Without those, don't even bother to attempt to utilize ECM. Governance is paramount. Making sure that the right information is put in the right place, although Teams negates that. But governance, you're going to see there's going to be a 
team's governance plan for information, methane, and sprawl, just to manage how a team gets created with a group and what the group does and a planner and all of those things. And that's going to come hard and fast because people are going to switch teams on and then three months down the line, they've got 5,000 teams. It's going to happen. So governance yeah. is important, probably the biggest one. Change management, user adoption, and training pretty much forms part of, of the same sort of stuff. So if you go into, I think it's Technode or MSDN, there's some governance plans there. There's a communication and marketing which form, rolls up into uh, change management and obviously a training plan that you can adhere to when, start, when you start w- working with ECM technologies in general, be it SharePoint on-prem or SharePoint in the cloud or SharePoint online as part of Office 365. But this is really where it, it becomes very important. If you don't have governance, you're going you're gonna to have mushrooming and then it turns into a white elephant. Very cool. Um, shall we chat very briefly about some third-party tools we can use to help us with these things? There's technical tools and there's business tools. I think for for our purpose, we're gonna we're gonna touch on the technical tools. So, I think the forerunners in the space really around governance and compliance uh, would be Avpoint. I mean, they've got two tools that form part of the DocEv suite, or you can buy it. Well, no, it's not part of the DocEv suite. It's bolt-ons to it. I mean, you can buy the DocEv platform or the DocEv suite, and these come with it. So compliance, guardian, and governance automation. And it's really extensions of, of what can be achieved. So uh, have you worked with the tools, Modlin? Um, I haven't for a number of years. I've sort of kept up to date with what they've been doing, but they've gotten very clever. So the, the F-Point tool set integrates into SharePoint and into Office 365, and it can basically keep an eye on exactly what's happening. And every time um, an event happens, if a new document is generated or whatever the case is, their tools can have a look at that content and classify it in a number of ways. And you can set up governance rules and all this sort of stuff. So when I'm putting when I'm uh, putting in a new document, it can sniff it and say, ooh, there's ID numbers in here, I better blank them out. For the most part, Office 365 does that with its uh, security and compliance in anyway. Uh, but this is just an extension of that, and it's actually much better. On the governance side, you could start looking at when people want to create sites, for argument's sake, in SharePoint. You can go through an entire governance process, specifically on-prem, I remember working with their governance tools right in the beginning, sitting on a conference call with Rufus out of Australia, looking at, well, these are the sort of, back when chargeback models were still the in thing, around provisioning sites, looking at if you haven't touched the site for six months, archive the site uh, based on governance rules, specifically around creation and dissemination and archiving of content that's no longer being used. So I think project sites that get spun up randomly. Yeah. So that is our, I, th- I think that's about it. That's a, I think that's a good high level introduction. If you guys would like us to delve deeper <laughs> into any of these uh, specific topics, or you want us to talk about us, talk about it a bit more, please do let us know on the social medias or when you see us at uh, IW or whatever, and we'll be happy to do that. All right, so, so that wraps up EIM principles uh, as part of our principal segment. I hope everyone had get some uh, insight into that and, and not delve too much into the other bits. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So then it's time for my favorite segment of the show, the new find of the week. New find of the week. 
So, Rod, how many times do yeah. you struggle with finding people in your organization? Uh, fairly often, I would say. And I mean, we do have we we we're we're pretty strong in the Microsoft stack, so it's not it's never too much of an issue. And how how difficult has it always been to update managed properties inside of your user profile service? Oh, that's that's a bollock. So, what if I told you there is tooling that fixes all of this for you? When it comes to managing okay. properties in Active Directory in, in SharePoint, as well as Azure AD and also Office 365. Oh, do tell me more. There's a product by the name of Hyperfish. Uh, it's been around for a while. Uh, Jeremy Fake actually joined them recently from Microsoft in Seattle. So Hyperfish does Active Directory management for you. So it enables organizations to automatically identify and populate missing information. Look, it forms part of the greater master data management, but it allows you to be able to do this much easier. So dropping Hyperfish into your organization will reduce stuff like IT spend and IT support when you're trying to find a person or a person gets married and their name changes or they move from one geographical location to the other one. So what it actually does is it monitors your directory for information that's missing or incorrect. And it will actually start and kick off a conversation with the user that has the missing information and providing them with a mechanism of updating the information without you having to worry about it. So how cool is that? That is super awesome. So they'll actually get a notification saying, hi, I've noticed some of your information is the profile is missing. It'll give the list. So it's easy for me to update it. Give you a perfect example. I want to update my email signature, which reads from somewhere. I don't, I don't know where it does. and I don't know how to update that. With something like Hyperfish, I'll be able to, okay, I need this information is missing. I, it will unlock, unlock the value of Office 365. It connects and talks to Dalv. It talks to Skype for Business and to SharePoint. Cool. Hyperfish, go check yeah, it out. Definitely go across to hyperfish.com and have a look at it. We are already having conversations with Hyperfish about integrating this into other third-party apps that does organizational structure management that you see in SharePoint and all of those things. So we're very excited about it. Sweet. And then our last segment is my PowerShell commandlet of the week. And we've got quite a simple one this week, but it's quite a nice one when you're troubleshooting some troublesome stuff. My PowerShell command this week is get SP app state sync last runtime. Yeah, it's quite a long one. Um, if you break it down, though, it does tell you exactly what it does. So if you put this in PowerShell, it will return for you the latest time that the app state update job was invoked. What, what do you mean by app state? So the app state uh, update job returns, it, it's, it's the, the timer job that updates the app states in SharePoint. So um, if from the marketplace, if you download oh, okay, them or, the app or set them for possible, okay. yeah, yeah, all the app catalog stuff, it includes updates to those apps, all that sort of stuff. So if you're troubleshooting, ah, oh, we, we implemented this app and it hasn't updated in six months, um, you can check the last this sync and it'll show you okay. the last time it was actually oh, wow. run. That's very cool. Yeah, quite quite a, a handy little troubleshooting one. So, this so how many people do you, do you think actually use the app catalog? Um, it, I don't know. I I have not I have not used it. Um, we have actually no, we have used it for the K two integration in twenty sixteen for the app. It's it called K two app. It runs. 
Yeah, it, it runs on the app model, so you got to get all that in. As well, now it's called add-in. It's an add-in. It's not an app anymore. Yeah, but uh, as far as just using a bunch of these apps across SharePoint, I've I've yet to be involved in a project that does that. How about you? I have actually uh, on an EPM deployment where the entire tracking component of well extending EPM we talk like project server you know you install project server on top of SharePoint spin up a, yeah uh, an AS box for the reporting and then this product actually sat on top of the app catalog it was look it doesn't sit in the, the SharePoint store but the company that created the product deployed it through the app catalog that does make a lot of sense if you're going to be doing deployments um, and all of that throughout a SharePoint bit. It it makes sense to use the the Microsoft channels to get that into all the right places. Makes management easier and all of that. Cool. So thank you for chatting with me today. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Mr. Wonder. And thank all of you at home for joining us. If you want to find us online, you can find our website, twoguysandsharepoint.co.za. We're also on Twitter, at twoguyssharepoint. I'm on Twitter, at oddmodlin. And I'm on Twitter as well, at Alistair Pugin. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher, your podcast app of choice. Podcast app of choice, all yes. All over the place. Pocketcast Player, the largest podcast app in the world. We are on Pocketcast. So if you use Pocketcast, you can now grab stuff from us. Same with TuneIn, same with Stitcher, same with SoundCloud, and the same with iTunes. And thank you to Mr. Thirsty for that splendid review that we both have read on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much, man. And that will do it for this week. Yeah, man. So peace out to you. No more cha-chas. And we'll chat soon. I am, um, and Audacity's got weird waveforms coming through, so I'm hoping that that high-pass filter has actually done something. It looks completely different. It's huge, man. Uh, you might be looking at it through through the waveform in decibels or something. I'm sh- I, I didn't change that. I just added um, I just added the, the high-pass filter. Maybe we should stop and you should play it back and check that it's recording properly. No, it is recording, and... It, yeah, but like, have, have you listened back to it so that it's a usable recording? Um, no, should I? Okay, let's just yeah, do let, that. Yeah, let's Hold do on. that. Let's do that.